Brothers and sisters, it's indeed a joy to be with you here the second time. Some faces are now uh, familiar to me and some names, and it's glad to make, uh, for me to make new acquaintances. Let's bow our heads as we uh, turn to his word. Father in heaven, we come in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Change us, O Lord, and conform us more and more to the image of the risen Christ. Together we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn together in our copies of the Bible. I'm reading from the ESV version to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll read the first 23 verses. So if you'll turn with me, please. Listen to God's holy word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that he is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Well, this is a long passage of scripture. And if I were your normal preacher, I would never do one sermon on 23 verses from 1 Corinthians 15. There'd be a half dozen sermons here, but I'm a guest, so I get to do what I want. And as we look at the verses that are before us, if your Bible's like mine, you've got the first 11 verses that are separated into a section. So it's a complete section, and it's a clear presentation of the gospel of Christ. Then the other verses that, sh- that continue uh, for a few verses after 23 are a presentation of the resurrection. And this morning I'd like to put the two together, to view Paul's gospel to us and the resurrection of Christ to us. And in light of celebrating the Lord's table, this is a great theme for today. And uh, isn't it fascinating, as Pastor Jonathan was uh, leading in the psalm meditation, and uh, the word was remember, notice what Paul says as he opens up our section. Now I would remind you, brethren, you are here because you have already heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know all of you individually, but I trust that you've come to faith in him, and that's why you're here. There's no prestige in coming here today. There's no financial gain for any of us to come here today. We come because we are remembering the great works that Christ has done for us. So let's take a look at this passage and remember the Korean, the Korean, the Corinthian situation, the Corinthian situation. Paul had preached the gospel to, to them in verse 1. They had received the gospel, and in verse 2 says, they are being saved as long as they hold firmly. And again, as uh, Pastor Jonathan mentioned, uh, it seems strange to the psalmist that someone who has heard the good news could fall away. And this is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. You have heard the gospel, you have embraced it, and you are being saved as you walk firmly with him. And the center of Paul's preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know this from looking ahead to verse 11. Therefore, whether I or they, that is the other apostles, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. Now, what Paul means by the gospel here in verse 5 is actually very precise and technical. Look at verse 3 as he says words that are familiar to all of us. Words that perhaps, again, Pastor Jonathan may repeat to us. Words from back in chapter 11, verse 23. It's, these are the, what we call the words of institution. The things that I have received, I pass on to you. Paul had received the glorious gospel of Christ and had passed it on to the Corinthians. Now, what is this gospel? Simply stated, the first 11 verses tell us that the gospel of Christ is that Jesus was lifted up on the cross and he died as our substitute. 
Jesus Christ died for our sins. This is what Paul tells us in the third verse. This is what we call the substitutionary atonement. Christ died so that we don't have to die for our sins. Brothers and sisters, each of our sins is worthy of death, but Christ has died in our stead. And as Paul makes this very clear, Christ died according to the scriptures. He mentions this twice at the end of verse 3 and again in verse 4. His gospel message is according to the scriptures. Now the first according to the scriptures in verse 3 doesn't have a particular passage in mind, but it's the scriptures as a whole. Christ died and was buried for our sins. This fact is according to the scripture. The second according to the scripture at verse 4, that he's raised on the third day, is best to uh, see this second citation like the first as referring to the whole scripture. Yet there's also a specific Old Testament reference relative to this line. And a few minutes ago, we sang from that reference back in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 10, teaches us that the Messiah will not be left in the grave. The psalm says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Brothers and sisters, death is a fearsome thing. And our Lord Jesus Christ faced death. He was fully a man. And it was a fearsome thing to be beaten and whipped and lifted up on the cross. And he knew that he would bear divine wrath against sin. And echoing the words of Psalm 16, he, he was secure in God's promises. And those promises are ours in our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever God has planned for today and tomorrow and in the future, we can rest secure in him for Christ is in control. As, uh, uh, as we look at this passage, notice also that Luke cites this same passage in the same way in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 28, he cites the passage and says that David spoke of Christ. And then combines Psalm 16 with Psalm 110 at Acts 2, 35 and 36. And guess what? We sang Psalm 110 as well. So we are lifting up our voices in accord with the scripture. The gospel is according to the scripture. Now, Paul says specifically he was raised on the third day. And that little phrase, on the third day, of course, that's Sunday. And that's why we celebrate on Sunday instead of Saturday. But that on the third day is also pregnant with meaning. 
The third day in verse 4 is treated also in the Old Testament and in the New as what's called the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. This theme was picked up in the Gospels in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40. Jesus, as he confronts his opponent, said, said, you don't believe, and what I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And they understood the story of Jonah and that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, but they didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about. And that was intentional on his part. And now it's clear for us. There is a connection between what happened to Jonah and what happens to Jesus. Jesus was resurrected on the third day. That's the gospel of Christ as he presents it in the first 11 verses. He died as a substitutionary atonement, but he was not left in the grave and has been resurrected. And that opens up the next section. Will you turn with me to verse 12? Because we see in the Corinthian situation that there were opponents in Corinth to the resurrection. Some said, There is no resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul never intends to prove that the resurrection occurred. It is simply a given. It's something that you have seen, he says. People have been testifying. He's only writing a few years after the resurrection. It was common news. And the whole narrative of verses 5 through 11 makes that plain that Christ had appeared. He was resurrected. He appeared to many, including Peter, that Cephas that I read, and James, the Lord's brother. And remember, James didn't believe in him during his earthly life, but he becomes one of the great apostles after the resurrection. Now, you know the story of Paul, the author of this passage. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, Luke describes the dramatic encounter that Paul had with the risen Jesus Christ. We call this the Damascus Road encounter. And this was not simply a vision of Jesus. Now, that would be great. But Paul says very clearly, it was an actual resurrection appearance similar to Christ's direct appearances to the other apostles. Christ is risen. He was seen by many, including Paul. This, brothers and sisters, is a historical certainty. The resurrection has occurred. And again, I trust that all of us believe in this resurrection But let me briefly give you four wonderful reasons for its certainty. Number one, remember the extraordinary events of the Messiah's life, including his powerful miracles. The ground shook and his substitutionary atonement. Secondly, remember that Peter and Paul and many others were eyewitnesses of this fact. And in addition, many of these eyewitnesses, including Paul, gave up their lives for this fact. The Holy Spirit 
also confirmed this gospel with great miracles. Paul mentions them earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. Thirdly, think about the changes that have occurred in people's lives through the proclamation of the gospel. The world has been impacted for 2,000 years because of the gospel of Christ and Christ's resurrection. Fourthly and finally, the doctrine of the gospel is beautiful both in its simplicity and its comprehensive teaching. The doctrine of the gospel has been made clear to men and women of all strata of life for 2,000 years. So in light of this impressive and massive historical certainty, it is idiocy and wickedness for anyone to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul, having simply affirmed this truth, challenges those in Corinth who dared to doubt the resurrection of the dead. He didn't leave his opponents alone. Christ's resurrection is also denied today by many. And it would be helpful for us to see Paul's specific defense of the resurrection. And in this part, we have a twofold challenge to the false teaching of those who say there's no resurrection. The first argument is a beautifully constructed if-then argument. It's an if-then argument. And the second challenge concerns the nature of the resurrection. So verses 13 to 19 have the if-then argument. Let me read it. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still left in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. You see the argument. It's as if Paul said this. If there's no bodily resurrection, then Christ is not raised. 13. If Christ is not raised, then both preaching and faith is useless. Verse 14. If Christ is not raised, then the apostles are liars, 15 and 16. If Christ is not raised, then the Corinthians don't have forgiveness for their sins, verse 17. If Christ is not raised, then those who have already died are lost, verse 18. If Christ is not raised, then we are most pitiful, verse 19. Christ indeed has been raised, verse 20. The second prong was that Christ has indeed been raised. And there are two characteristics of this resurrected Christ. Look at verse uh, verse 20. First, 
Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Second, in verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. The point is that Christ's resurrection has changed us. We are changed people. He is the first fruits of a resurrection harvest. He has gone from this life to heavenly life. We will go from this life to heavenly life. As again, the pastor said just a few minutes ago, whether we have 60 years or 70 years or 80 years, we will pass through this life. And we will be changed. In Jesus Christ, we have been miraculously transformed. We walked in darkness. Now we've seen the light. And in verses 9 through 11, we see that the resurrected Christ has changed Paul. God used Paul, who is the least of the apostles. Paul had already said at verse Uh, one of chapter nine that he is an apostle am i not free am i not an apostle have i not seen jesus our lord the resurrected called paul to be the least apostle and who is he my heavens he persecuted the church can you imagine If somebody has persecuted Christ and came through those doors today and said, now I'm a believer, we'd all go, whoa. Saul became Paul. We have been changed. Now these verses are magnificent. Let's apply them to our lives. Let's apply them. First, are you confident that Jesus has been raised from the dead? Are you confident of this? I knew there'd be some kids here, and so I want to say something to the kids. I'm an old grandpa, and I want to promise you children that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. We've walked together for a long time, and he's always been there, and he will always be there. And when I breathe my last, he will take me into his arms. And kids, he will do the same for you when you're an old grandpa, too. Second, while this concept may be difficult for the children, do you adults know of Christ as substitute for your sins? God's people have offered sacrifices from the book of Genesis all the way through the end of the Old Testament era. And in those sacrifices, an animal would be set apart And the father, as representative for the family, would put his hands on the head of that animal. And right in front of everyone, that animal would be slaughtered. The blood would come gushing out of that animal. It was gruesome. And it reminded the whole family that we deserve death for our sins. But because God is gracious... That animal gets to die in our stead. That's what it means to die as a substitute. And the notion is foreign to all of us. Very few of us have ever seen an animal slaughtered. But Christ has 
taken your sins and he has been slaughtered. We have, in a sense, placed our hands on his head and he was lifted up in the cross and bore the full burden of all of our wickedness. But while Christ dying as substitute is wonderful in itself, he has done more than that. He has also transformed his righteousness and given it to us. This is more than any animal could have done in the Old Testament. Christ was the Theanthropos, the God-man. He was holy, holy, holy. He was without sin. He, could, he didn't need to die for sin. He died for our sin. But not only did he die a substitute, he has given to all of us who have faith in him his righteousness so that when we pray, we can go before the throne of grace and we can come boldly to our Father claiming what is rightfully ours. Paul says, remember this. And in your time of need, remember who you are. You are a daughter or a son of the king. You have Christ's righteousness. And in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your sorrows, in the midst of pain and depression, cry out to that father because you have a right to be heard. Just like you little kids get to be heard by mom and dad. Jesus Christ has given us his righteousness. So we approach him in that kind of boldness. What a magnificent application this is for us. Fourthly, the Corinthians heard the gospel and took a stand and in verse 2 were being saved, assuming they continue to hold firmly. We, brothers and sisters, are like the Corinthians. We are being saved as long as we hold firmly. And I want to ask you, is that what you're doing? Are you holding on to Christ Sometimes that hold seems pretty weak. Sometimes it doesn't seem pretty weak. It is weak. But we hold fast by the Spirit's power. And as again, I think of the children in the congregation. As uh, Pastor Jonathan and I are, we're at the end of our ministries. And you children are just beginning your lives. And life was a lot simpler for us when we were boys. And life was, in many ways, easier for Christians when we were young. And I fear for my little foster grandson who's here and you children as you face the troubles. Do you remember a little over a year ago the six children who were killed in the Christian school in Virginia? That may have just been an opening salvo here in the United States against Christians. Paul is clearly telling us that we need to know and remember the truth, know this gospel, and remember the risen Jesus Christ. Like Christ, every one of us in this room will be someday laid in the grave. And there was only a three-day gap between his death and his bodily resurrection, and it could be a long time for us. And in the meantime, the Shorter Catechism tells us in question and answer 37, that after our death, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness 
and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Because of his resurrection, we too will be resurrected. I trust that you understand this. I trust that you believe it. And I trust that starting tomorrow, you'll want to tell others the good news of this gospel of the resurrected Christ. Let's bow our heads. Again, Father in heaven, we come in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask that by the Spirit's power, you would help us to understand and internalize your word to your glory. Amen.